whatever your ROI is, it needs to be higher than the interest rate you're paying on the loan. Buying and selling businesses just got a lot easier. Welcome to the Web Equity Show, where thousands of successful entrepreneurs go to learn about buying, growing, and selling online businesses. Your hosts, Justin Cook and Ace Chapman, share their real-life advice, examples, and expert interviews to help you build and grow your own online portfolio. Now to your hosts, Justin and Ace. Welcome to episode 18 of the Web Equity Show, also known as season two, episode two. I'm your host, Justin Cook. I'm here with my co-host, Ace Chapman. What's going on, buddy? What is up, sir? We're into the second episode of season two, man. Um, This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, man. And we are moving on from the very, very, very basic stuff. And we're talking about analyzing websites for beginner buyers. So we're moving up in the world a little bit. And one of the things we wanted to get into is some of the terms, right? I mean, some of the things we're going to talk about in future episodes and in the show, we just kind of got to define them. And so instead of sitting there and defining every single term, we're going to kind of chat our way through it. We're going to have some tips and tricks for each so that you as a you know potential buyer or an actual buyer can you know get some value out of it, even if you're at an intermediate or advanced stage. How's that sound, buddy? Yeah, I realized even on our very first episode, it's easy to get into you know talking just the lingo because we're, we're doing this stuff every day. It's easy to take for granted that we haven't broken down what things represent and stand for. And I think there are some folks that are even doing deals and we get into some of the concepts that we're going to talk about that are pretty basic that a lot of people may not be aware of. So I think it'll be good for the new folks and some of the veterans as well. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, We actually had a catch-up call, you and I, right before we got on the show, talking about some of the deals that we got going, right? So there's a lot of action and magic happening in the space right now. I think that's going to continue through 2016. And we're going to look at some of that basic criteria that some of our buyers are looking at that you started out looking at. And I think people will be interested in this. And then we're going to start talking about you know how you can determine whether a site is right for you and some of the things that are signs that it's not right for you, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, man, let's do some listener love. First up, we've got a five-star iTunes review, buddy. It says, must listen for digital investors from Tim Douglas. This podcast is a must-listen audio for anyone interested in investing in digital property. I'm currently working with both Ace and the Empire Flippers, and both organizations have operated with the utmost integrity. This podcast is just a taste of how these guys can help digital investors achieve their goals. Thanks for doing this, Ace and Justin. This is just a taste, man. Just a little just a little, uh, little tip of the tongue taste. Yeah, just a little appetizer. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, like you said, this year, man, it's already off to a raging start, and there's so much going Going on that it's hard to kind of condense all the stuff into into these episodes. I, I love that we're breaking down the basics, but it's also just it's exciting to be uh, in the space right now. You know, we started a long time ago, and I feel like we've hit this feverish pitch. So I, I, it, this is just a taste. <laughs> yeah, buddy. So let, let's talk about an email we got from Michael H. Justin uh, emailed us the other day. So thanks for the inspiration, Justin Ace. Hey guys, I want to uh, give a huge thanks for all this inspiration. Great podcast. In the past, I bought and built a few websites on the side, but listening to your show last year really pushed me to do it full time. I made some big gains in the past six months following Ace's mini mogul business strategy. I'm looking forward to the next season of your podcast. I recommend it to everyone I know who asked me about what I do. Thanks again for everything you guys do. Michael H. Yeah, it is weird to tell people what you do. I mean, I'm a mini mogul. You kind of sound like an asshole. 
right? Like, like <laughs> you can't come across and be like, yeah, I'm a mini mogul. It'd be like, want to be Donald Trump bullshit, right? Like that just that doesn't sound realistic. I know, and I guess since the that concept has contributed to me, then that makes me the ace hole. Yeah, you right. Know? You're 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 an ace hole ace. No, I mean it, it's cool though. I mean, like the concept is cool, and I like the concept. We actually talked to you on the Empire podcast about that exact context. I think it's interesting. It's just kind of one of those things you're like, Shh, you know, I, this is what I do. Yeah. This is the process. I'm not sure I want to call it that, but yeah, this is what I do. <laughs> so it's cool. I, I think it's also cool that, you know, you can send someone to kind of a podcast that explains what you're doing and they go, oh, okay, I get it now. And I hopefully this, this show is helpful for Mike. All right, buddy, we're going to get into episode 18. Again, this is analyzing websites for beginner buys. You ready to do this? Let's do it. All right, so first off, we need to talk about some of the terms, right? And basically the metrics. And the first one we have, and, and this comes up a lot with website brokers, comes up a lot with you know online business deals, offline business deals, and we're talking about multiple. Yeah, multiple is one of the easier metrics to kind of get started into, hey, is this a deal that I even want to consider? Because if the multiple is way out of whack, it may not even be worth your time. Yeah, so when we're talking about multiple, what that means is, well, and this is where it gets a little messy because we like we like to use multiples that are a little different than everyone else. With Empire Flippers, we use a monthly multiple, and it's basically the deal price divided by the net profit, or you know, basically what the, the kind of cash that the business is kicking out. So, for example, if it's you know eight hundred thousand dollars and it's doing forty thousand dollars a month, that would be a twenty x multiple. Now. We're one of the few that talk about that way. A lot of people use annual numbers. So in the same example, $800,000 business for sale, if it's doing $400,000 a year, that would be a 2x multiple. So there's some benefit, I think, in clarifying whether it's monthly or annual multiple we're talking about. Yeah, traditionally, internet deals have been monthly. And a lot of that is based on the history and the fact that five years ago, 10 years ago, you could buy deals at even a six-month multiple. So instead of the traditional way, which offline we use years because you know the average was two years, it didn't make sense to say 0.5. So the history behind that is that you know it started off as being a monthly base multiple. And then over the years, it's grown multiple wise, but a lot of folks still do use that monthly multiple. And it also, I like the way you guys do it, Justin, because it instantly gives you a real return as opposed to trying to guess, is this 2.5 or is this you know 2.2? Yeah. You have an exact monthly multiple. So I like that for these deals. That's cool. It gets a little messy when you start talking. When you get over 30, then you're trying to do like, well, how many? Well, you know, 37, 32. You're like, ah, it's still a little, it's a, it's a little messy. But yeah, I think, I think it's helpful. And you know, when we talk about multiple, we just have to get into net income, right? We have to get into profit, cash flow, EBITDA. We have to start talking about these things because they're different, but they are going to make a difference in what that multiple is. 
Yeah. So and different brokers will just use different words for the same thing as well. So it's a little more complicated than just saying, oh, well, this is the profit. So you could have gross profit, but there's still things that are in that gross profit that will take down. It's not going to be your net profit. So, you know, you may have cost of goods if it's an e-commerce site. And then they'll say, well, after the cost of goods, you've got a gross profit of this. And, you know, some brokers will use that as the number because their stance is, well, it's up to you how you run the admin. It's up to you how you, you know, what your cost structure is going to be. So we're going to give you this gross profit number. So you got to know what you're looking at. And then just the wording can be different where they're calling it cash flow as opposed to net profit. So often if you see the word cash flow, what that represents is the net profit. But again, you got to kind of clarify with the person you're talking to, hey, how did you come up with this number? What all is included? Because it's not just a a standard across the industry for sure, for sure. Yeah. And this this really comes into play with the larger deals too. If you're talking about a $60,000 Amazon affiliate site, not as important. If you're talking about a much larger, let's say, e-commerce company with multiple employees, a warehouse and things, it's a little more complicated and I think it needs to be explained a bit more. For the most part with the sell side brokers, they, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Ace, but they do not include the owner's time. They'll include employees, they'll include virtual assistants, they'll include, you know, in any staff, but they don't include their own time. And the reason is people value that very differently. So mm-hmm. that's normally taken out of it. And you'll, you'll hear a term, you know, seller discretionary earnings. That's another term that's used in the industry as well. Yeah, you have that where, you know, they're not calculating in the time that they're putting in. And then, you know, like you said, there's the owner's seller's discretionary income, which could represent real expenses in the business. Or it could be things that are kind of just real true personal expenses. And you've got to get some clarification there because in some cases, you know, the person may say, oh, well, you know, I sponsor my kids baseball team with this money and you know that's we're going to add that back into the profits but did any you know did he get some level of business because of having a billboard out by yeah. the team you know what i mean so you really want to break down what they're including in the profit and kind of add backs or based on that seller discretionary income so that you're clear about the benefits of where that money was going before. Yeah, I, I think we're getting in the weeds a little bit. I'm not sure if I was listening to this, whether that would be any more clear. But let, let me let me kind of like just give an overview. When any broker, when any seller is talking about net income, profit, cash flow, EBITDA, seller discretionary earnings or income, anything like that, there's going to be some variances and, and there's variances in terms of, you know, did they put their car payment on the business or do they put things that really shouldn't be on the business and did they include that or do they take it out? A lot of times sellers are going to try to take that out and that always becomes a point of dispute, right? From the buyer's perspective and it's a negotiating point that they can use. So sellers listening, you may want to be careful that, you know, there may be some tax benefits for you including certain things in the business. There may not be some benefits when it comes time to sell that business and the buyer doesn't want to pay, you know, doesn't want to count that earnings that you put toward your Lexus or whatever. Um, (laughs) So yeah, so just keep that in mind. But you know, in in general, this number that's being used, however, they're calling it or however they're presenting it, that times the multiple is how they got to the listing price. So let's talk a little bit about one of the words you use, which is EBITDA. 
So the other term that you might see in some listings, typically larger listings, is EBITDA. And that stands for earnings before taxes, interest payments on debt or depreciation and amortization. And it's basically telling you this is what the real cash in the business is. And so just like you were talking about, Justin, there are things that people are going to basically when they're doing their taxes, they're going to include as expenses that will either vary for you like interest. I mean, that's going to be something that's going to be based on your financing or no financing at all. Uh, You know, your taxes is going to be based on you personally. So all of those types of things, and especially when you get depreciation and amortization, all of those things are going to vary. So they're going to give you the earnings and it's before any of that stuff comes out. That's right. And so, you know, as an example, if a business is selling for $800,000, has net income of $400,000, and we're talking annual multiples, then it's selling on a multiple of 2x. And again, if we're talking EBITDA or whatever, if it's making $400,000 a year, again, that's 2x, or as we like to say, 24 months, 24x. Cool, man. So let's talk about the next bit, which is ROI or return on investment. And basically, ROI, we're talking about how much cash you're getting and how what percentage at the end of the year you're looking to make as a return on your initial investment or as a return on the money put into the business. Yeah, return on investment. That's what this is all about at the end of the day. And, you know, depending on what you're doing in the deal, what your long term goals are, you know, if you're somebody who is just trying to replace your income or if you're really looking at this, like building a portfolio and starting to use the cash flow to go out and buy other deals, ROI can get as complicated or as simple as you like it to be. So let's say that you bought that business again, same business, it's $800,000. You bought it all cash, right? Just cash deal, $800,000. And it's pushing out net income every year of $400,000, right? So that's a 2x annual multiple. It's two times the annual cash flow or net profit or how wh- whatever term they're using. It's two times that. Now, in terms of your $800,000 investment, assuming things stay the same, right? You have the same costs, you have the same earnings the next year, everything just stays the same. Your ROI, return on investment of your initial $800,000 is 50%. You're getting $400,000 back over a 12-month period. Yeah. So ROI, the simple calculation is return on investment equals net income divided by the investment amount. Yeah. Now, you had an interesting point. We talked about this a little bit before the show, right? So if you're not paying all cash for the $800,000 business, and instead you have $300,000 cash you're bringing to the table, but you're taking out a loan for $500,000, right? There's going to be some interest or some payment that you're going to have to make on that $500,000 over time. So on a monthly basis, on a quarterly or annual basis, you're going to have to pay that $500,000 back. So it's going to take away from the ROI that you're getting on the business. Yeah. And it boils down to, at the end of the day, we want to measure what our return is going to be. So you, when you're calculating ROI, you don't necessarily want to use the EBITDA method. You do want to put in the interest. You want to figure out, hey, where is my depreciation going to be? And you want to go into the deal and figure out, at the end of the day, what's my total return on this business? And you end up with a number that is essentially the inverse of the multiple. You know, instead of having a, a multiple of two using the $800,000 investment without any interest costs, 
where you're going to get a two multiple, that ROI on that deal would be 50%. Uh, and so it's going to go down from 50% depending on how much financing you use and other expenses that you add into the deal when you buy it. Yeah, ultimately, another way to think of this too is you know the same exact uh, business we're talking about, $800,000 purchase, it's kicking out $400,000 a year. That's a 50% ROI. If you, and let's say if, if you borrowed 500000 of that 800000 to buy that business and you borrowed it at a whopping 20% interest, right? If the business stays the same and continues doing what it's doing, the costs don't go up, the you know uh, revenue and profits don't go down, you're making money. So you're making the difference between the 50% ROI that you're getting and the 20% in interest that you're paying. So that 30% is your take, right? And that's a good way to think of it. Whatever your ROI is, it needs to be higher than the interest rate you're paying on the loan. Exactly. Let's move on to some of the things to consider when you're looking at a deal. I mean, you know, on the basic level, I know a lot of people you don't want to waste time looking at deals that aren't going to make sense. You know, now we're seeing a lot of deals come to market. There are a lot of opportunities. As quickly as you can disqualify a deal, that means you can spend time on deals that are going to be more likely to end with a closing. You know, that when you're trying to kind of get into buying and selling businesses, your most valuable asset is your time. And so when you can kind of save time by disqualifying deals and, and focus on good deals, that helps you to get more closing stuff. Yeah. So I like what you're saying there. So consider this, dear listener, <laughs> dear listener, if you're looking <laughs> to buy a website or online business and the real kind of sticking point for you requires four or five emails back and forth with the seller and kind of digging into the business, that is horrible. Because it's going to take a ton of your time, right? You're going to be sending this email, wait for them to respond, and send another email. Like You have to really dig. Now, that may be really important to you, but what you want to do is you want to look for disqualifiers that are on the surface, right? Things that are clearly and visibly apparent as reasons you do not want to buy it, right? Because those are things you don't have to contact the seller. You don't even have to get involved. You look at the deal and can make a quick decision. Those because you want to disqualify. As a buyer, you're going in somewhat negative, right? Like I'm, you're looking for reasons that the site or business should be disqualified. So you look really quick. You find something. You say, oh, good. Move on to the next one. Oh, good. This one's disqualified. Go on to the next one. And and one of the ones you put in here, and you can talk about this a bit, is the personality-based businesses. Yeah. You see this a lot more with internet businesses. It's, it's not as much an issue when looking at offline businesses, a lot of times it's not tied to a person's brand, but it's the personality-driven businesses. So one of the things that I recognize, even for my hchapman.com business, you know, that's not a business that I would look to sell. So yeah, good, I've got luck. My good luck with that. Yeah. yeah. Anyone want to buy yes. hchapman.com? Uh, no, no, not so. <laughs> so that's not an asset that I'm looking to sell. So I've got my portfolio of businesses that, you know, my name is not mentioned in in any way, but then I've got my personality driven business. And if you're looking at those, there are some ways to get around that whole thing. If you find one that you're absolutely in love with, you know, we, Justin, I've seen deals where there's a transition period and, you know, the, yeah. the person kind of says, hey, this is the new guy and stays in the business and slowly works over to you being the new personality or they kind of work themselves out. 
But rather than having to deal with that on your first deal, it's better just to go and find something that isn't personality driven. And the, the huge risk there for a new buyer is getting into the deal. And then, you know, the people feeling like, oh, well, you know, I really like the last guy a lot better. That's who my relationship with was with. And, you know, you start to see this attrition rate increase because they had a relationship with a previous person. I've yeah. seen this in, with offline businesses on a very small percentage where some customers will find out, even though the, they didn't have a direct relationship with the owner, they just feel like, oh, well, this is under new ownership. I'm going to move to somebody else. That increases it tremendously when the business really is built around an individual. Yeah. So like, you know, let's say there's Barbara's Cafe. She's been running 15 years. She sees Mike every morning because he eats his eggs and bacon. She knows exactly how he wants it. She goes and talks to him for a bit. They joke about the kids. Like that's a harder business to sell. Mike has a relationship with Barbara, not, you know, Mr. Slick Willie looking to buy this business and hop in there and take <laughs> it over. Like it's just not you're not Barbara, man, you know, like it's just yeah. not the same. And, and it's the same. And thing. we all know Slick Willie is going around <laughs> buying all kinds of businesses. Slick, <laughs> Slick Willie. Yeah, Slick mini mogul Willie is uh, yeah, not going to be able to And he can't make money. a good, good cup of coffee either. Excuse me. I'm making your coffee. I'm moguling it up over here. Yeah, that's just not It's not going to work. I mean, the same thing as online businesses uh, to a certain extent, right? So, you know, like podcast-related businesses, it's challenging if they really are attached to it because of you. And so there's this is a spectrum, right? There is, you know, on the very high end, there's the you know, Barbara who knows all of her customers by first name basis and all this down to kind of the lower end where, yes, maybe they write some posts, but some of them are written by someone else. And it's not so much them. But yeah, I think as a new buyer, one that's very personality driven, unless you are a part of that community already, unless like you're maybe a co-host of the show or you, you're like involved in the audience and they know and appreciate you too, definitely not when you want to start with. I think that could be a recipe for disaster, potentially. Yeah. So let's talk about the next, the next big disqualifier that a newbie can use. And, and that's history. You want to talk a little bit about that, Justin? Yeah, man. So here's the thing, right? If a business has been around for six months, right? And it just, you know, first two months suck, last four months, it's crushing it, just crushing it, right? Well, you don't know where on the spectrum of crushing it it is. It could be, you see this amazing trend lines going up, up, up. It could have, you know, could next hit its peak. It could go through the roof and start making a bunch of money. The, the big issue is it's a risk. It's a bigger risk. So if the business were around for a year and a half, two years, three years, five years, 10 years, you have a much longer track record, right? It's kind of gone through the peaks and valleys and dips that all businesses go through. And you can see that tracked out over a longer period of time. So in general, this is a big one when it comes to multiple. We mentioned before, you know, multiple is multiplied you know, by the cash flow or net profit. Shorter businesses or shorter lifespan businesses are going to have shorter multiples because the risk factor is much higher. Yeah, what I tell people is as well is you want to pay attention to how much time you want to work in a deal and your skill set 
when it comes to these. So just like you're saying, the multiple for a shorter history deal, you want to get that at a better price. You want to get that at a better multiple for you. And a lot of times with a seller, you can legitimize that by just telling them like, hey, this hasn't been in business that long. I'm taking a big risk. I need a great deal. Now, if you're somebody who has the time that if this thing doesn't go well, you can get in there, make changes, you're really paying attention to the deal and the trends and, you know, we're able to work on the business. That's a risk that could be worth taking. But if you're looking, you know, to get into a deal, you're kind of dipping your toe in the water. You don't want to spend a bunch of time. You're trying to keep the risk really low. Then one of the things to just cross out the list is those young deals. Yeah, you know, I think young deals are just they're going to have more risk. They could, you know, double or triple in 12 months. They could disappear in 12 months. And so I'd say as an as a new buyer, you may not have the experience yet to kind of determine which ones are steals and which ones are losers. So you may want to avoid the younger deals and look for ones with a bit more stability and a bit more history. I think that's important. You said you like to look at deals over two years. I'd say that's good. I'd say definitely nothing less than a year, probably 18 months you're going to need. One of the things with an older deal too is you may see uh, declining earnings. Let's say it's a you know, six-year-old website or online business, and it just seems to be declining over time, like you know, month over month or quarter over quarter, year over year. I would go into that assuming that I know that the seller has been working to improve it, and they're going to tell you, "Oh, well, you know, I've just kind of let it. Uh, uh, I just haven't been as focused on it or whatever." I don't buy that generally when they say, "Oh, I just haven't put the time into <laughs> it. I'm doing other things," especially if it's significant income or earnings, I assume they've been working their ass off to correct it and they can't stop the downward trend. So as a buyer, that, that can be fine. Uh, there may be an opportunity for me to get it at a discount or to get a deal before someone else snatches up, but I damn well better be sure I have a plan in place to correct that. I need to be able to see the opportunity to turn it around and see something they don't see. Yeah. You want to be very specific about what you're going in, into that business and how you're going to grow it. So when you're getting the information and trying to figure out some of these basic things, you're going to usually get a prospectus. In addition to the prospectus, there's some things that you want to ask for just at, at the most basic level. And so one of the things that I always request immediately just to start digging into the deal is access to the Google Analytics. Yeah, Google Analytics is going to give you uh, kind of the history of the traffic or the visitors to the website. So you're going to be able to see where they're coming from, you know, what countries they're coming from, what cities they're coming from, how long they're staying on the site, which pages they're visiting, how long they're staying on those pages, which ones seem to be more attractive or less attractive, and just kind of get an overall feel for how the traffic is flowing throughout the website. One of the great things, and we're going to get into this a lot more in a future episode on due diligence, which I think we're probably going to do a couple episodes. It's really, really important. One of the best things about Google Analytics is you can verify everything that was said in the prospectus or the listing. So if they said this and analytics is showing that or something different, it's a red flag, right? They better have a damn good explanation when you talk to them about that or that's a big problem. Yeah, I think Google Analytics alone could be an episode. <laughs> Just what to look for, red flags, 
context, you know, all of the things to examine. And then, you know, when it's if they're actually using the, if it's an e-commerce business and they're actually tracking conversions and, yeah. and all these things, you can go really, really deep into Google Analytics. And, and so that's something we'll discuss in and of itself. How, but, how do you how do you usually go? It depends on the deal, right? If it's not like heavily dependent on the traffic or the traffic isn't suspect, then not quite as much and more in other deals. Yeah, I mean, it's based on the deal. It's based on the size of the deal, the type of business. You know, e-commerce is going to be totally different from just the small AdSense or affiliate site. You know, from which is different from a SaaS business. So yeah, Uh, we yeah we look we look much more for like bot traffic with an AdSense or ad based site uh than we do with an e-commerce site. Right, someone's actually going and paying. Like, I don't care if they got bots. It doesn't matter. Someone's actually pulling their credit (laughs) card and and buying things, right? But if it's an AdSense based site and there's bots that's a problem yeah the bots are, are pulling out credit cards man let's get yeah, some more give me bots some of those bots man yeah i want some of those bots visiting us exactly. absolutely you know one of the other things that you look for is is you're going to get proof of earnings and up front like first things first you may just get like screenshots or you may just get something and that's ultimately before you do the deal unless it's a very small deal that's not good enough. Like that's just the preliminary information. We talked earlier about like just getting a quick snapshot and deciding whether the deal is for you or not. Like the screenshot of earnings is just that quick snapshot. So you go, oh, doesn't have this or it's there. Here's the problem. I'm not getting it right. And ultimately, as part of due diligence, you're going to match what those screenshots say with what bank accounts say, with what a live walkthrough of their earnings says, with access to their earnings information. So you're going to need to match that up later. But just a snapshot or images is fine to start. Yeah, it, it is. It's a good place to start. It's also kind of based on the size of the deal, how in-depth you want to get it. But you want to make sure that it's real. You can do the video. You can log in yourself. There's a lot of different methods. But, you know, for right now, when we're just looking at that criteria and some initial information to gather kind of for today's episode, the main goal is to just see, hey, you know, what are, what are the screenshots What's the business doing? Is this in line with what I was told? And just making sure everything makes sense. Yeah, at it's, this. it's cool too because if you just get a snapshot of the earnings, let's say you have a kind of a basic spreadsheet of profit and loss kind of thing and, and you have some of the earnings screenshots. Sometimes deals take weeks or even months. And a good thing you can do, a sneaky thing you can do is make sure that later on when you're doing a walkthrough or when you get updated information, make sure that old information on the new screenshots matches the new information. If it doesn't, again, red flag. And, and again, as a buyer, you know you are looking for this kind of sneaky shit. You're looking for ways they are not being honest with you or that the numbers don't match. And so these are ways you can, you can do that. It's more due diligence stuff, and we'll talk about that later, but that's a nice trick. Yeah, yeah. So after this, you've got some initial information. You know what the multiple is. You've kind of got a guess of what your ROI is going to be. The next thing is, before digging too much into it, figuring out, hey, is this something that I can run? Is it, and more importantly, is it something I might be able to grow? So as you're, you're thinking about that, some of the questions you want to ask yourself are, do I have due diligence? I mean, do I have expertise in this area so that when I'm doing due diligence, I know what I'm looking at? You know, if you don't know anything about software or programming or, you know, software development, getting into a software business or a SaaS business could be a really, really high risk. And then after the due diligence period, 
being able to grow that business is also a risky thing. Yeah, I think keeping in mind like what value can you create? What expertise and value to the business do you bring is important, right? So if you and this is just good practice anyway. But think of the business as a another entity. It's a person, right? It's a a, a thing. And so if you're looking to, you know, make a match with this business, like what do you bring to the table? How do you help this business? And if there's nothing there, that might not be a good match, especially in your first couple go rounds. Yeah. So I love looking for businesses that I can grow by adding some immediate value, uh, not just kind of putting off into the future like, oh, man, one day this is going to be so big. It's just it's what can I do as soon as I close? I can start working on this and increase the value of this business. How do you handle that then by doing I'm going to put you on the spot. How do you handle yeah. that by doing a lot of deals? I mean, you have a limited amount of time. You have some other cycles. You have people that you know, work with you that can help you do some of the stuff. But like, you know, when you're taking on a new deal, there's going to be a couple of months where you're going to try to implement those strategies. How do you not miss out on other deals that are going by at that time? Like, how do you manage your time there? Yeah, that's one of the frustrating things. <laughs> so one of the reasons that I do the whole program is to have the opportunity to invest in other people's deals because that's the only way with this stuff that you can take advantage of more deals. So you're doing so, the ace army you know, thing. That you're, you have other people coming in, looking at deals. You're going in on them with some deals. And it's a way for you to just expand, really. Invest in more exp- deals. Yeah, expand your deal flow, really. Yeah, yeah. Deal flow and the deals that are actually getting closed. So, yeah. you know, we, we held our first uh, deal makers weekend a couple weeks ago. And that was neat because four of the attendees are people whose deals I've invested in who I never met in person before. Awesome. So, you know, we're partners on businesses and, and I never one of them. I'm partnering on like three different businesses with one of the guys alone. So that's how I get more deals done. Gotcha. Going back to that kind of the growth plan, you know, there are a bunch of different like specialties you can have and you don't have to have all of them, but you might want to have one or two of them in place. And that could be being a pro at creating autoresponders. And what those are, are, you know, automated email sequences that go out. Maybe you're a pro at that and you realize, oh, he's collecting emails, but he has no autoresponder. I can add value there. Maybe you're great at Facebook paid ad campaigns or, you know, organic campaigns. You're great at driving social buzz or at like paid traffic campaigns, maybe Google AdWords, other pay-per-click stuff. Maybe you're an SEO expert and you can get, you see a page ranked on the fourth position on Google for a major, major keyword. And you're like, oh, I can get up to the second position or first position. Uh, Maybe you're good with sales funnels. Maybe you're good with pricing strategy. Maybe it's a recurring product at 39 bucks a month that you know people will be paying 79 bucks a month for and they wouldn't blink an eye in terms of loss of sales. So, you know, you don't, again, you don't have to be good at all these things, but you should have a little bit of experience in one or two of them. And you can start to look for deals where you provide that value. Remember, you know, this is another entity you're looking at. You have to bring some value to the table yourself, right? It's not uh, not that the business is going to do all this stuff for you. It's what do you provide for them? Yes. And you should have fun with it as well. I mean, when you're in, coming up with all of these interesting ways to grow the business, it's testing. You know, it's not saying, oh, this is the end all be all. I'm going to go in and grow this business with Facebook ads. You want to go in and say, hey, I'm going to test ads. I'm going to test and doing some promotions of affiliate products. I'm going to test the pricing. 
So you've got several things in that deal that are potential ways to grow it. Yeah, the last point in terms of growth strategies are basically taking advantage of some strategic opportunities and economies of scale. So, you know, if I've got an e-commerce business, let's just say, and I've got, you know, four people working in a warehouse, I own or rent the warehouse, I've already got everything set up. Taking on another e-commerce business, I have already got the employees, they've got extra hours in their day where they can stock these items and ship them out for me. You know, it doesn't cost me a lot. There's no cost in having to hire new people, because right? I've already got these people on board. Maybe I can cut out the cost of the employees that are already with that business and just use my current employees. So there are all kinds of advantages of scale that you get when you're doing a lot of deals and bringing a lot of deals on. Definitely. You've got the scale, you've got cross promotion, you've got the ability to kind of use the content to drive in a, to a couple of different places. I mean, it really does become neat as you get into more and more deals. Yeah, we've got a good team in the Philippines, right? Just for an example, and you know, they're virtual assistants, and they can handle live chat really well, maybe it's like light phone calls. But it's not a full-on call center. So if a deal comes across where they're handling, you know, 100, 120 calls a day, like that wouldn't be a great pickup for Empire Flippers, right? But a deal where it's a lot of chat or they do, let's say, Zendesk support, email support, and maybe a few outbound calls a day, that's something our team is already trained for. They already do on a regular basis, and that would be an easier pickup for us. So I could immediately say, oh, you're doing how many calls a day? Are these outbound? Oh, nope, that's not for us. And then, oh, live chat, email support. Yep, okay, now I can dig a little deeper. Yeah, yeah. I love it. All right, buddy. So that is it for episode 18 or also season two, episode two of the Web Equity Show. If you've been listening to the show and you're finding value, you like our season two, you like our first season, you love what we're doing, please head over to iTunes and give us a review. Your reviews help us keep the show going. As we've probably mentioned before, we don't make any money at this. And honestly, this isn't really a business for us. This is kind of fun. We love to talk. We love to talk to each other. We love to strategize and do deals. And this is a way for us to do that and kind of share our insights and kind of what we're doing with you. So really hope you're digging. Thanks for listening to the Web Equity Show. Now is your chance to be a part of the action. Go to www.webequityshow.com slash gift and send us your business acquisition or exit question and have it answered on the show. 